Welcome to Leading from Alignment, a weekly podcast from Converge Coaching, where our passion is to help you lead better, lead longer, and enjoy it more. Hello again. Welcome to another episode of Leading from Alignment with our good friend, John Opoluski, and a special guest. John, how are you today? Hey, Jim. I'm doing well. It's uh, good good to be here. Yeah, right on. Right on. Introduce us today to our special guest and, and maybe a little background on her so our, our listeners and viewers can get to know what we're about to do. Sure. Uh, we are delighted to have with us today Andrea Bassett. Um, I've known Andrea, I think, for at least 10 to 15 years. Uh, she was part of our home church. Her and her husband were part of our home church before they were husband and wife uh, many years ago. And uh, they, uh, they, served, they have served in multiple ministry capacities. Uh, all of them that stick in my mind, they were youth pastors for a while uh, here in Michigan. And, uh, and then uh, they went on the mission field. And uh, I think Andrea will tell us some of that story, but just served beautifully uh, in, uh, on a foreign soil and uh, came back several years ago and are now serving at Mount Hope Church in Lansing. And uh, so they have, a, they have a rich background of ministry and uh, really two of the most wonderful people I know. And so, Andrea, we're welcome. Uh, we're delighted to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Well, thank you so much. And what a great introduction. I'm super honored to be here. I'm huge fans of both you guys, and my husband is too. So if he was here, he'd be rooting you guys on and cheering your names. So thank you, first of all, for having me. And yeah, actually, I think we've known each other 20 years because Jeff and I have wow. been married almost 19 and, okay. and uh, we knew you before that. So has wow. it already been 20 years? Yes. Wow. <laughs> Here we are. Wow. Well, I know your husband. Everybody knows your husband. If he's a fan at all, he's a huge fan because oh, he's huge. He's, yeah. Was he seven feet tall or something? And yeah, a, a, a Big giant heart. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So like you said, we've been in ministry, you know, since the early 2000s. Um, you know, my husband and I, we met right out of high school. We started dating. We both just felt like we were supposed to do something to help people. And then, you know, I met Christ when I was 18 years old and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm supposed to help people and, and have help other people experience you know, this God who loves you. And so that's how our journey really started in ministry was this just desire to serve the Lord. And like you said, it was youth ministry. And then we were on the missions field for almost a decade. Um, And that just opens your eyes to a whole different world of thinking, views, lifestyles, um, ways of doing things like how you get your drinking water to is it okay? You don't have electricity for a week. So uh, definitely a very cool experience. But yes, we are currently in Michigan and just uh, loving life and serving people the best we can. Hey, Andrea, I, I wonder, you know, we always like to ask our guests how they came to Christ. You said you came to Christ at 18. Um, how did yes. that happen? I mean, what was the story behind that? Yeah, great question. So, you know, in high school, like I grew up going to a church. It wasn't a church that really taught about having a personal relationship with Christ. It was like, follow these rules. And if you're good enough, you'll, you'll make it to heaven. Maybe if God decides you're okay. So I just lived in this constant state of fear. Like, well, what if I'm not good enough? What if I screw it up? And that's a lot of pressure (laughs) to live with, especially as a teenager when there's so much pressure already. Um, And Jeff, actually, my husband invited me to youth group. 
We had just graduated high school. He invited me to Freedom Christian Assembly of God. Uh, Pastor Aaron Halavin was the youth pastor. And it was like, it was that service. I walked in, I experienced the Lord and I was at the altar and I was like, this is what I have been looking for. And that's where I gave my heart to the Lord. And it was just like, it wasn't an instant. My life is fixed. I had a journey of healing to go on. But it was, I could fall safely into the arms of my savior. And he was going to carry me through that challenge of growth and change. Can I ask one quick question? Uh, now, because Jeff is, is 18 at the time, you're 18 at the time, inviting you to youth group. Was that was that missionary dating? Was that evangelism by romance? Yeah, perhaps. I think it was like borderline yes. Yes. Because <laughs> uh, we started dating shortly after. Yeah, if you if you had been a guy, you probably wouldn't have been invited. So it's wonderful how the Lord worked that out for both of you. <laughs> yes, everybody was thinking it. So yes, mm-hmm. it worked for him. Doesn't work for everybody. <laughs> so, so now you you've you've gone to that altar. You talk about a, a journey. Part of that journey is kind of connecting the dots, right? I I think I'm supposed to be helping people. Hey, I found the cure for every ill of mankind. I, I, it, was there like a a retreat, a camp, a missions trip, a quiet night of prayer. What? When did you kind of look in the mirror and go, what I see is a, a minister, if you will. I mean, we all are, but we all kind of aren't. If that makes sense. So there's offices of ministry and there's, but you looked at, you looked at yourself and said, I, I am a part of God's solution to the problems of my generation. What, what did that look like? It was an accumulation of all of those things of, I decided, all right, if this is what I feel like I'm supposed to do, I'm going to be all in. I'm going to go to every service possible. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to get close to leadership so that I can learn and just soak in all this information about this new lifestyle and this new way of living. So I just, I, I showed up to everything that I could, um, shortly after I came to Christ, I went away to school, but I was driving back three times a week to be a part of things. Cause I felt like I was supposed to be there and grow there. And then the next semester I moved back home. Cause that just wasn't sustainable, but um, yes, digging in just to be, I was just open to receive people's critique, people's advice. I just let myself be totally teachable because I knew that what I had before wasn't what was good for me. And if I was going to help other people, I needed to grow myself. Mm-hmm. Right. Any any flack from your family? Because I mean, you say you were raised in church, and now you've you're no longer attending that and and kind of adhering to its traditions. Now you've got something new. Is everybody okay with that, or was that a problem? So, I'm very fortunate that I come from a very supportive family. Um, so my parents, though they continued going to the other church, they said as long as you were going to a church where you were growing, we are okay right. with that. So Fair thankfully, enough. I didn't have to yeah. have that that tension of being in a family that was so against it. So I didn't have that hurdle to have to jump uh, over, thankfully. Right on. So, so tell us a little bit about being on foreign soil, if you could, uh, before we get to your, what you're doing now, which we really yeah. want to get to. i just curious. I'm sure people who are listening and watching some know your story. Some don't. Can you tell us a little bit about, uh, the uh, experience uh, overseas. Yeah, absolutely. I always say it was the most amazingly wonderful and difficult adventure at the same time. It existed mm-hmm. together. Um, very high highs and very low low lows, constantly in, our, in interaction with each other. Um, it's just hard when you are outside of your home culture, your home language, 
everything that is normal to you is not anymore. That was left behind and you are just like transplanted into this new uh, soil and your roots aren't growing very well at some times. Like it takes time for your roots to establish and for you to feel comfortable. So um, there, there was that, just that normal adjustment of being in a different culture, raising a family. We went over with two babies. So that wow. was you know, looking back on it, I'm like, Andrea, what were you doing? <laughs> I, was, I was just blindly following the Lord. And, and th- that didn't mean it didn't come with difficulties. Um, being overseas, you are exposed to a lot, it dep- you know, especially on the country, but you're just uh, exposed to a lot of pain and suffering of humankind. Um, and that can be very wearing on any individual. Um, and then especially if you're going as a missionary to serve and you feel called to run towards the people who are hurting. It's that constant exposure to pain um, that we didn't, that we didn't, not that we didn't take it seriously, but we didn't realize how deeply it affects you in the long run, which goes into why I started my business. But um, that chronic exposure to people suffering and pain and then experiencing traumatic events yourself on the field um, while trying to still be what you're supposed to be to the people that you're serving to the people back home who are supporting you. It's juggling a lot of these different, very high stress elements while still preserving your own spiritual well-being and taking care of your family and doing the ministry and trying to figure out where you're going to find clean water because the water's been shut off for two weeks. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's a compilation of a lot of stress, high reward. Absolutely amazing adventures, incredibly difficult at the same time. Right. Now, Jeff, Jeff experienced, your husband experienced a, uh, an, an accident, is that what you call it? I mean, a severely mm-hmm. broken, injured, spinal, yeah. you know, could you tell us a little bit about that and, and how you dealt with that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the moment, we didn't realize how serious it was. So uh, we were exploring a new village to begin ministry in. Um, We lived in a remote part of the mountains in the Himalayas and access was very limited. So we had to hike in and we're hiking as a family and the, the mountain is getting steeper. The trail is getting smaller. So the kids and I staggered on the side of the mountain. There wasn't even a flat place for us. Um, So like looking back, like, why were we even there? Like there's all these retrospect things that in the moment you're like, this is what we're supposed to do. And you're not quite thinking those things through. Um, So Jeff goes ahead and he's gone for like 20 minutes. And I just feel the Holy spirit say, pray he stays on the mountain. And I was like, Oh, Andrea, you're worrying. Stop worrying. He's okay. But I couldn't shake that. And so I just closed my eyes and I just prayed and I envisioned angels holding him on the mountain. And then I waited and it seems like forever. And so eventually I saw him hobbling. See, look at my voice is like, do you see that? I'm I'm doing okay. But my voice is like, no, this is the scary part. (laughs) He comes hobbling back to me. And, um, I knew something wasn't right. And this is where the details of the event for both of us get fuzzy, which from a scientific perspective, I now know why, but in the moment, and you know, there's so much guilt around why did we do what we did? Why didn't we do other things? But in this moment, he comes back and he said there was a landslide and he almost fell off the cliff. Now the trails are, you know, maybe four feet wide. It's mountain on one side, drop off on the other. So it's a miracle in itself that it wasn't a body recovery that I had to do. It was just getting him very injured off the mountain. He was 
hobbling. He had taken his backpack, cinched it. He knew something wasn't right in his pelvis. And so he emptied his backpack and used it as like a, a support system to his pelvis. And we were able to get down the mountain, get to our vehicle. By the time we got to our vehicle, he was in excruciating pain. Um, we were too remote. The closest hospital that was like that you could just lay in and <clears throat> suffer in was an hour away and it wasn't clean. It was just not the right option that we cho- we chose to go home because we didn't know what was going on. Um, mistake number one, but that's what we did. And uh, we went back and for the next several days, he would scream and pass out in pain and we were isolated and alone. And it took us almost a month to get him out of the country to a doctor in the United States. Uh, Lots of communication, you know, through the internet, through trying to get a hold of other missionaries, but we lived in a sensitive context and people were afraid to come out and help us because they didn't want to jeopardize their standing in the country. So immense helplessness in that moment. We just felt so at a loss of what to do. And, you know, the, the clinical definition of a traumatic event is, is that it's a, it's a near death or serious injury that you personally experience or that somebody close to you experiences. And there are other things that categorize also as a traumatic event, but the, you know, the landslide was definitely criterion A for PTSD mm-hmm. and uh, right. we fit it. Wow. John? So, <clears throat> yeah, tell us about your current venture. Uh, yeah. Core yeah. Journey. We're very core interested journey. in that. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. So Cora means heart in a lot of root languages. And we were coming up with this name. We thought, you know, healing from trauma is a journey of the heart. It's like the brain and your emotions have kind of been split and there's this confusion and, and there's just this journey of getting it back together. So yeah. um, my company is helping people, you know, gain control over their life again and have a hope for the future. Um, and it really stemmed out of my husband's accident. We came back to the United yeah. States. We were that year back was so hard just emotionally and just our identity was crushed Our, you know, Jeff had PTSD, the kids had PTSD and it was just really difficult. So I got my master's in crisis response and trauma counseling. And then right now I'm in my doctoral program for trauma counseling. Um, and we developed core journey to help people heal. You know, it trauma is such a specific niche of, of care and it, doesn't have to be overwhelming or scary. And there is a science behind it, plus how God designed our brains to heal. So we put those two together and we get to see people regain control over their lives again. And it's, it's really incredible. Could you, could you help us understand, you know, PTSD, sometimes we think combat, sometimes we think uh, a bully at the lunch table in junior high school, right? We, I don't, I don't know which, when someone says I, I suffer from PTSD, I always want to ask about eight more questions mm-hmm. because I can't, yeah. I can't assume it's truly traumatic and I can't assume that it's not. So what if someone does suffer from PTSD, regardless of what caused it, what are some of the common symptoms that, that a pastor, a counselor could look for that would say, I, I'm kind of diagnosing this. What you're suffering from is not just the event. It's what happens after an event that's so traumatic. Absolutely. Yeah. So PTSD so with after a traumatic event, and there is a clinical definition, it is broad, it includes a lot, um, but it is yeah. specific. After a traumatic event, two weeks following that, it is completely normal to have these crazy symptoms. People feel like they're going crazy. It's normal. It's how the brain responds to those events. After two, two weeks, most people resolve 
and return to normal functioning. Um, When it goes, when it's a, a month or more that they are still suffering, and it's a very specific set of symptoms, there are diagnostic tools that professional counselors use. Um, so maybe a follow-up question would be like, oh, wow, where were you diagnosed? Like, oh, I wasn't diagnosed. So in, it, and mm-hmm. honestly, in that moment, it's not to judge, but you're, you're looking yeah. to see how can I help you? Because PTSD, yes, yeah. um, there are specific, very debilitating right. symptoms. So, you know, nightmares, not being able to sleep, flashbacks. You guys hear flashbacks mm-hmm. a lot. Flashbacks are where the person actually their mind, their brain has has tricked them into thinking we are exactly back to the war scene. We're back to the car accident. We're back to the assault, and they are reliving it in that moment. There's intrusive thoughts where uh, thoughts of the event just come um, a hyper startle re- response, where mm-hmm. somebody shuts a door and they just like jump and it makes them feel angry and irritable, um, being irritable and super angry for the smallest thing. Um, it it's as if their brain is perceiving every stimulus as a threat and they're constantly Mm -hmm. in this hyper alert and it's debilitating and it affects their personal life and their work life and their social life. And people feel stuck and trapped and hopeless. Mm. Andrea. So it, that sounds to me like another level or a different level or a different category altogether of helping. Um, it, it see, and, and I don't know if I'm right about this or not, but it just feels that way to me that that the normal therapeutic approach uh, for for somebody who is suffering from that might not be effective. Am I, am I right about that? Am I wrong about that? And if I am right about that, what's different about how we treat uh, this issue as opposed to just normal therapeutic counseling? Yeah, that's an excellent question because trauma affects the brain, not just emotionally, but it physically changes. So approaches that maybe work for, for other things aren't going to be effective. So it's like wasting people's time, money, and energy and hope in an ineffective, with an ineffective tool. So there absolutely are modalities of treatment that are backed by research to show people who are suffering with post-traumatic stress disorder or other post-traumatic um, symptoms there is a category of things that work really well. So that's where, you know, me at Core Journey, I stay in that, like I am trauma and crisis specific. Um, So I can really cater my care for my clients to that. Um, And yeah, yeah, absolutely. It can be exhausting to people who go for help. And if that person isn't trained in trauma and have the knowledge of how it affects development, if you experience chronic uh, abuse or traumatic events growing up, your brain is different than it would have been had you not had that stress. So things in your personality are affected by it. The good news is it is healable. It is, um, it is, it, you can, you can change it with the right tools. Yeah. I I noticed, you know, I, uh, when I, I was a lead pastor and we would, uh, uh, try to be helpful to uh, especially young women who had been traumatized uh, uh, sexually, you know, mm-hmm. that they had been abused. And it was, Andrea, it was like nothing 
it, it just, whatever we tried to do just kind of bounced mm -hmm. off. And I realized I didn't know what to do about it. Mm -hmm. I thought this is a different, this is just a different scenario. And, and so I think it's important for those who are listening today or watching who are pastors or, or maybe you're a counselor uh, to realize that, uh, that individuals who have gone through traumatic experiences, um, you might be spinning your wheels uh, trying to help them. And, and there's, a better, there's a better avenue probably uh, to refer them to. And I, I think Cora Journey uh, would be one of those uh, entities. Uh, and so I, I get concerned when we are trying to help yeah. where we're not qualified to help. And yeah. I'm concerned for the pastor or the leader or the counselor because there's a, there can be a level of frustration for them, but I'm also concerned about the person who's suffering. And, and you said the word hope. And I think, yeah. I think what can happen is if, if normal, the normal therapeutic approach is not effective, I'm wondering if they start thinking I'm, I'm unhelpable. Right. I'm never going to get over this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The saying, the saying we yeah. use here when we're deciding whether or not we can help somebody is if if our health doesn't help, their their hope shrinks. Mm. So be be honest in what you can do and can't do because if our help doesn't help, and they walk in with a, a a marriage that's in crises, we can help them or we can't assess that. If we can't, mm -hmm. we need we need to hand that hope to someone who is worthy of of their hope. But if, if help doesn't help, then hope really suffers. So hope is a very important commodity, right? Without hope. That that's when other things, suicide, depression becomes real. Um, mm -hmm. We don't we have, we don't have one problem now. We 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 have no problems because we we quit. You know, on on life or marriage or friendship or the church or God or all those things in in order. Yeah, absolutely. You said that so well. And you know the the danger in the in the situation, John, that you described was you know, it's going to cause harm to the helper, the one who's trying to help. Yeah. It's going to cause harm to the person yeah. trying to get help. And then, you know, it leaves both people feeling broken and frustrated and exhausted. So absolutely. If you are with somebody that you feel like, you know what, this is out of my skill set. I don't know how to help you refer, refer, refer. Absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't mean that, that you have failed in any way. Um, it is actually, a really honorable sign that you really care about that individual so much so that you don't have to be the fixer. Um, yeah. you know, yeah, that, that you can refer and, out. And just help. if this is helpful to anyway, this listening, what we say is, listen, I, I, I see and I hear and I feel what you're going through. I want to be completely honest with you. I'm a general practitioner. So if you got the sniffles or you got an abdominal pain, but I, I need to refer you to a specialist because General practitioners don't remove appendix. They don't. They don't deal with tumors. They what you're going through is a specific crisis, and there's a specific response to that crisis in, in therapeutic counseling just for this. And I'm not going to waste your hope. I'm not going to. You know, I'm not mm -hmm. going to pretend I can help. It would be unkind of me to say I will help you. Now, maybe I can. Maybe I can go with you. Maybe I can introduce you to. Maybe I can send a, a text to that person and. You and the three of us to, to kind of, if you trusted me enough to tell me there's a problem, let me, yeah. the best I can do is, is help you with that trust to put you someplace that I trust because I'm, I'm not the right person to fix this. And, but I love you enough not to say, not, not to try, 
and then, mm. and then blame you if you don't get better, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really, really wonderful. Can, can I ask another question? Cause I, I think theologically nothing's impossible with God that the solution to every problem is Jesus. The Holy spirit is the counselor, the comforter. Mm. There, there, there is kind of the thought, right. That, that, uh, I don't know that not, not, you know, blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while, but I mean, there, there is the thought that God can give you the perfect words at the perfect moment to do the perfect thing. Um, but I, I, I guess in, in this situation, I would find that a rare experience. Is that what well, somebody explained that to me? Why is it I'm in touch with the Holy spirit when I speak, you know, you, you hope it's God, the Holy spirit speaking through you, but in this counseling situation, is it my preconceived notions of what's wrong? Is it my biases against, is it just rub some dirt in it and be a real man? So he went through combat, everybody in World War II and they're fine. You know, is it like, what, what, what is it? Why is it the average pastor with the Bible and the Holy Spirit really has proven in this area ineffective in helping the people that you treat? Because that, that, first of all, is a great observation and a question. And it goes back to the science of what trauma does to the brain. Um, and it's how God designed our brains. It's a protection device, as you you know maybe may say. Uh, so when you experience a traumatic event, a life-threatening event, event that is attacking the integrity of the person, like an assault, sexual assault, um, the brain, the, the sympathetic nervous system activates and it goes into fight, flight, uh, freeze, fawn, these reactions. Um, and when that happens, your ability to do critical thinking and you know your cognitive ability, it as a as a survival mechanism just drops, and you are in these automatic responses. So in that moment, if the Holy Spirit were to give you the wisdom of whatever that person needed, in that moment they're not even able to receive it because they they can't. Their brain is surviving; it is not able to have any worldview changes or any lifestyle changes. In those moments, it is all about stabilizing the symptoms, stabilizing the brain. So the parasympathetic nervous system kicks in, turns off that alarm system, and then they are able to receive more of those um, words of wisdom. So it really comes down to science. So you haven't failed and you're not failing. It's just simply how the brain was designed by God to function during traumatic events. Can I can I point out something that may be relevant, may not be, but here I go yeah. anyway, that Job goes through the worst trauma ever, right? In the Bible, the book of Job, the, the character, the person of Job. And when his friends show up for three days, they say nothing. They they just sit with him yes. because what am I about? What am I going to say? And it's going to be okay. You can have more kids. You know what I mean? Hey, don't worry about it. You're a smart businessman. You know, they, yes. there's no human logic or reason. Exactly. It, it, sometimes the best we can do is just be with them yes. and be quiet. Uh, you know what I mean? Yes. And not pretend we know the answers. We we can fix them, but just join them. Those who grieve, grieve with them. Mm -hmm. Kind of a moment. Is that what that is? Absolutely. And like research shows the most effective way to help somebody after a traumatic event or after a crisis is to be present with them, not to mm -hmm. be doing things for them or with them or saying mm -hmm. things to them. It is literally, literally the power of your presence. And then when you bring in the Holy spirit with you and the characteristics of Christ into that silence, because you're prayed up and you and God are good. And you are open to like, all right, God, I'm here for this person. That is so powerful and so healing. Now you feel pretty worthless, just kind of literally sitting next to somebody silent. And then, you know, Job's friends three days, that's a long time to just kind of be like, yeah. what do we do? 
but it yeah. is honestly, if you view it as actually, this is effective. This is what they need. It helps that person feel safe. It helps them to feel connected and not isolated. Yeah. You know, if, and if you read the story of Job, uh, that probably would have been the best thing that they could have done. Once they started opening their mouths, right. it gets worse. Right. It, it, it didn't yeah. help very much. They messed it up. <laughs> so Andrea, uh, I mean, we're, we're bumping up against time here and we have a lot more we'd like to explore yeah, we do. Uh, with you. Um, would you join us for another podcast? Absolutely. Awesome. Right. Awesome. Jim, would you wrap us up? We, yeah. I, I think the number one question that if, if we know somebody or we are someone that needs to have a conversation is how do I get a hold of her? How do, yes. how do I connect with the ministry with the, now you said ministry, you said business, mm-hmm. but it's a therapeutic business. Is ministry mm-hmm. different than business? It, we'll get to know, that. Let's do that yeah. next episode. Let's next do that time. next episode. <laughs> how, how do we get a hold of you? How do we, how do we say, I, Hey, my, my uncle just yeah. got home from blank and he's really mm-hmm. suffering. What do, how do they yeah, get a hold of you? I, I offer free 15-minute sessions to people who are like, hey, what's going on? So you go to www.coracorajourney.com. Corajourney.com. Great. I, I'm uh, I'm always excited about the next episode. People say, what's your favorite episode? I always say the next one. Like, <laughs> you, just never, you just never know, right? But I, I'm sincerely excited to continue our conversation. And uh, to our dear listeners and watchers, I would just say this. You know, I, I let, Let's be honest about what we can do what we can't do and what God wants to do. Um, You don't have to fix everything, pastor. You can't fix everything there. It's a body. Uh, A hand can do what a hand can do, but a foot is a different tool for a different reason. And every, everything in the body of Christ has a purpose. Nothing's wasted. Everything has a moment where they glorify the Lord. And so I I just would encourage you to be realistic. Um, Don't, don't be defeated in not being able to help somebody find someone who can converge is here. Cora Journey is here, countless other things that God has birthed to be helpful to your people and in your circumstances are, are waiting for you. So get a hold of one of us, Converge Coach. Uh, if that's what you can do, uh, if that's what we can do for you, if that's what you need, Cora Journey, if that's what you need, or, you know, there, there's a lot out there. So God bless you. Uh, do a great job today. It's Tuesday and you didn't quit. So congratulations on that, Pastor and Leader. And uh, we'll talk to you again real soon as you continue to lead from a line.